Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Diggle, joined today for the week four preview special with none other than friend in life, John Paulson. Paulson, how's it going? Going pretty good. Uh, nearly one quarter of the way through the fantasy season. It's uh, blazing on by. It is going rather quickly. I don't know if Sam Hoppin can also say the same, given we're always putting in request for him to build tools for us. Sam, how are you doing on the back end in the cave? Uh, I'm doing great. It is officially, I know you teased it last week, is officially hoodie weather in Chicago. John Paulson sitting over there in his ivory tower and his t-shirt doesn't even have to worry about cold weather out in, in California. But uh, doing well. Excited to get into some week four stuff here. Palm trees and decanters in the background of Paulson's house, whereas uh, Sam and I are just freezing our asses off here in Chicago already, and it's only September. Gentlemen, we have a lot to get to today to preview week four. Tons of injuries happen, but before we begin, corporate is giving everyone an opportunity to unite with those who are already winning with our tools at 444.com and join in on the fun. If you've heard this dumb accent across nine shows weekly, preaching for you to join. Just know now, truly now is the chance to do so because you can use the promo code SUBTEMBER. SUBTEMBER. I don't need to spell it out for you. To save 25% off your 4 for 4 subscription. And the promo only goes for the next 48 hours through September 30th. Head to 444.com slash plans. Use the promo code SUBTEMBER if you were on the fence now is the time to join us. And that's especially true, Paulson, because our adjusted fantasy points allowed tool just launched on the site. And if you head to 444.com and look at opposing defenses, allowing fantasy points according to the talent or lack thereof they have played, you will see that the Lions running backs, the situation everyone is talking about, are now in a matchup against the 30th ranked rushing defense of the Detroit Lions and adjusted fantasy points allowed. How do you think this backfield will fare between Jamal Williams and Craig Reynolds through week seven, let's say, since we are assuming DeAndre Swift is out through Detroit's week six bye? Uh, yeah, it's, this is an exciting week, week four. Uh, we start using 2022 data only for the adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, hotspots tools. Uh, we've had them up on the site, but they're you know based on last year's numbers and things change over the offseason, as you well know, John. Uh, but this particular week uh, with Seattle 30th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, it's a very nice matchup. I have Williams. Right now, ranked number six uh, at his position. Uh, he's already scoring touchdowns, even with DeAndre Swift playing. Uh, so I'm expecting a very heavy workload for Jamal. Uh, and yeah, Craig Reynolds, I think, is kind of a sneaky start in that uh, you, you sometimes look for some of these uh, secondary players who are playing in really good matchups to perhaps uh, put up some points in their 8 to 12 touches that they get as the backup. Sam, any concerns here? about this backfield moving forward? Or do you think it's business as usual, especially this week against Seattle's front seven? I I don't have any concerns. I think the thing that I'm looking forward to most is how the potential receiving work is split up between Williams and Craig Reynolds. Currently, DeAndre Swift has been sort of been the target hog in that backfield for the Lions and Jamal Williams this season has only run a route on 20 and a half 
percent of the team's dropbacks, which is a little lower than I think what you would normally expect from him, Craig Reynolds, down at 10%. So if Williams gets involved more involved in the passing game, he certainly has the ceiling, especially this week, to be a top five running back. For reference, in Paulson's rankings, Jamal Williams, RB6 overall, Craig Reynolds, RB52. And I noted this in the waiver show and in the waiver column, but I do want to say it again that I even put in a few large bids on zero RB teams for Craig Reynolds. And some people asked why, and that's because we do have at least one game of evidence that Reynolds last year in week 16 with Jamal Williams healthy and DeAndre Swift out, Reynolds handled 14 touches to Jamal Williams 19 and also soaked up 100% of the running back targets, four to Jamal Williams zero. I think it's going to be similar to that method and Reynolds getting 10 to 15 touches. He's already totaled 11 touches the past two games as the third running back behind a hobbled Swift and Jamal Williams. So I just expect all of Swift's touches to trickle down to him. Jamal Williams, of course, will lead this team in touches because that's what he's already doing. But I expect Reynolds to actually be a useful RB3, 4 flex option if you're in a pinch. And that's how I'm treating it in a terrific matchup. I also want to ask you about Khalil Herbert, Paulson, because the Bears, as we know, are running the league's highest run play rate from neutral game script because they're absolutely terrified to pass, and who can blame them? Herbert also, different coaching staff, but four games last year to start for David Montgomery, averaged 21.8 touches per game. I think some people may have Herbert, and they're asking, who do I start him over? How do you have him ranked? So how do you view Herbert right now? Well, I have him ranked at number eight. I mean, I, I had uh, David Montgomery in half my DFS lineups last week, and it was so it was fun to watch Herbert rumble for 150 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Uh, we know he's talented, and uh, I think coming in to this week, knowing what the, the workload that he's gotten, it's, it's not something that's like you know we're wondering if they're going to give him bell cow usage. We've already seen it in the past. We saw it last week, and we've seen it. Uh, last year, as you mentioned, so uh, pretty confident that he's going to be a you know a top ten type play. Um, I, I've got him right ahead of Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones. Mixon's got that little foot injury. I'm int- I'm interested to see uh, you know how that shapes up today, uh, but he plays on Thursday after kind of sitting out some time uh, with Sam- Samaje P. Ryan playing most of the second half. So just little rankings questions there, but I think he's a really solid start Herbert against the the Giants who are 26th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. And you, like me, Sam, are in a couple main event leagues, high stakes leagues, where we probably dabbled on Tristan Ebner and free agency just because those waiver wires are so thin that you take every chance you can get. But what we also know is that Ebner did handle seven carries, his first touches of the year, behind Khalil Herbert in the first half last week whenever David Montgomery left with an injury, but fumbled on his last touch of the half and didn't get a single touch in the second half of the game. So maybe there's a chance here where Herbert handles even more workload than we expect. I Again, it, it, part of it comes down to the passing game work as well. And I know that the Bears are not passing the ball a ton, but Herbert really hasn't been involved that much. He's only playing 37% of the team's third down snaps. I I will mention Khalil Herbert currently second in the league among running backs in rushing yards over expected per carry. So he has just been extremely efficient and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bears 
just ride him throughout this whole game uh, coming up. But yeah, if you're in deeper leagues with how much the Bears are running the ball, I mean, their pass rate over expectation is like negative 20%. It's it's pretty egregious. So I think Ebner is certainly worth a flyer right now. I mean, if if Herbert somehow goes down, then he will automatically fill in right there. Meanwhile, Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney can definitely be left on benches or in shallower leagues, just dropped altogether. We believe in the Bears' running game as they do, but not their passing game as they do. Paulson, I want to ask about Mac Hollins, who has turned Hunter Renfro's concussion the past two games into 13 catches for 224 yards and a touchdown, including 21.5% of the team's targets. And he's actually out-targeted Devontae Adams 18-17 to 17 in that time. If we are expecting Renfro back this week, how do you see Hollins faring? And I think it's an important question because a lot of people could be debating whether or not to splurge on Hollins in free agency. Yeah, I, I have that same question myself with one of my teams. And I think Hollins is going to be like a dicey uh, start if Renfro is there because you have Adams, Renfro, and Waller kind of soaking up targets in that offense. And Hollins could have a game here and there where he's productive but is unlikely to see uh, the type of target floor that we want in our starting receivers. However, if Renfro's out, then I think Collins is a pretty safe start uh, alongside Adams and, and uh, Waller as the number three option. And as you mentioned, maybe even higher than that, kind of a 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B type situation with Hollins. So uh, I just think he's sort of a big play receiver that um, is going to be a little spotty week to week, but it's a nice guy to have rostered in case there's an injury to either Devante or Renfro or even uh, Waller for that matter. Anything on Renfro's usage behind the scenes, Sam, that suggests we should stay away or the other side of it, continue starting him? I mean, he has an extremely shallow average depth of target, just 2.9 yards this year, which is low even for a possession receiver. Matt Collins getting some slightly more downfield targets with an 11.2 yard average depth of target <clears throat> and currently has, I think about, uh, let's see, 30, excuse me, 23% of the team's air yards. So they are playing in massively different roles. Uh, Keelan Cole is also a bit of a downfield target, but he only has four targets this year. I mean, I think Mac Hollins has proven that he deserves a spot in this offense, but what was one of the more concentrated passing attacks gets pretty muddled when you have four different guys. So I think Hollins certainly worth an add. And if you're in deeper leagues worth a start, the Raiders are throwing it above expectation uh, a little bit more than I think people expected going into the season. So that certainly helps as well. But if it's just these four guys that are involved in the passing game, that's huge. Outside of that, though, I I don't think I'm, I'm touching any other Raiders pass catcher. I do still worry this week, too, not only for Rimpro's absence, but Broncos number seven, seven toughest passing defense for opposing wide receivers and our adjusted fantasy points allowed tool, again, that just launched this week. And also we've seen Holland's range of outcomes now. He had one target in this expanded target tree in week one with everyone healthy. And then we've seen what he's done the past two weeks. So it could 
be either or right now. And we're not sure which one. That's why I'm comfortable if Renfro's back in, leaving him on my bench. I want to discuss a few rankings for week four as we move along here. Because we saw with Christian Watson out for the foreseeable future with his hamstring injury, we're not sure how long, and Sammy Watkins on IR, it became pretty much a two-man show between Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs. Dobbs, of course, Paulson, who is ranked as your wide receiver 30 on the week. How do you view Dobbs, not only this week in a tougher matchup against the Patriots, but rest of season moving forward? Well, I don't. I think he's a little bit away from uh, really solidifying himself as a starting, uh, you know, de facto starter every week for the Packers. Uh, this was a really good coming out party for him. Uh, obviously, with Watkins out for on IR for the next four weeks at a minimum, uh, we can really count on Dobbs. I think to play a lot of snaps, and he responded very well. Uh, in, against the Buccaneers, and he wasn't like doing it against a bunch of schlubs. He was those good cornerbacks there that he was going up against, and they schemed him plays, and he was the first read on plays, which is a great sign. Uh, so I'm, you know, pretty bullish on him rest of season. It's not uh, a sure thing. Uh, he's a rookie. He's going to have some ups and downs, I think, especially with Rodgers as his quarterback, and you know, low patience with uh, his rookies. But you know, Rodgers doesn't have a whole lot of options right now, so. Uh, I like his prospects uh, for this week moving forward. Uh, it's a little bit of a tougher matchup against the Patriots, the number two and adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. But uh, right now he's likely to line up most against Jalen Mills, who's not having the, the best start to his season of the uh, Patriots cornerback. So pretty bullish on uh, Dobbs in general. Speaking of not having many options, um, I try, like I am trying to get off Aaron Rodgers in a couple leagues the QB 12, QB 13, the past two games, uh, six lowest rate of targets to wide receivers in that Packers offense, no rushing upside, Packers operating at the third slowest pace between plays and neutral game script. The issue is that, and I've had this in my Q&As, Paulson, I'm sure you've had it in a couple of your Q&As, the issue is that unless you have Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, or Lamar Jackson, the entire position is underperforming. There's nowhere to go. Like, you can't move Rodgers for Marcus Mariota or Jared Goff. Even Mariota's rushing isn't getting him by. Like he's a he's a fringe QB1, mid QB2. And so Sam, I want to ask you about these receivers moving forward. How do you view them? Uh especially because Alan Lazard even though Rodgers clearly trusts him inside the 10-yard line, the issue right now in his two games is that touchdowns make up 58% of his fantasy points. He's averaging 3 catches. And so it's not something that I consider sustainable really, or something that's going to get us there every single week. It's not. I think it is encouraging to see at this point, Dobbs and Lazard sort of separating themselves as the number one and number two, how, you know, whichever order you want to put them in Dobbs route run percent went from 59% week one to 45% week two, all the way up to 94% in week three. So he certainly got a lot of play on the field, obviously Watkins and Watson both out, like you mentioned, but this could be his opportunity to build that rapport with Rodgers that we've heard is so important. Lazard has been above 88% in each of the two weeks that he's playing and actually has a little bit of a deeper average depth of target, which is not what I would have expected from Lazard. He's at 137 yards which leads the team Dobbs down at 4.4 so they're again two rather distinct 
roles right now, but they both currently, Dobbs and Lazard, lead the team in target share with 17% and 15% respectively. So I think we're starting to see that differentiation between those two and the rest of the pack. And while Watson and Watkins are out, can potentially lean on Dobbs and Lazard as flex options with, again, they, they have certainly have a low floor, but with Rodgers throwing them the ball, could easily find the end zone in any given week. Yeah, I would just add that uh, Dobbs' uh, ADOT is, is low because of those first that first game where they peppered him with like three screens. Uh, I think that is kind of weighing down his numbers, and as the time goes on, that's going to increase. He's pretty; He was pretty good in the preseason getting downfield, so I, I think that's going to happen a little more often. And as you mentioned, Lazard, he did catch that one long one against the Bucs. Uh, so they, they are going to look at his way a little bit too, but neither one of these guys are major burners. They just are going to have to get by in their route running and, and to get open. But uh, it's not like uh, they have Watson out there with four, three something speed. Um, so I would just say that Sam's point was that is, is good that they're, they're separating themselves. You probably have Cobb as the third receiver there. And if it's going to be those three, then I think, you know, Cobb is going to hit once in a while, but he's, you know, he's older than, <laughs> He's a little old and uh, not as good as he was. So you're probably looking at Lazard and Dobbs as, you know, every week starters generally, unless it's a, you know, really bad matchup. As our friend at Establish the Run, one of us, our roommate as well, Evan Silva noted on his podcast that post game for the Packers, Matt LaFleur actually came out and also complimented Dobbs against man coverage, which has to be great for him moving forward in that lineup. Let's discuss Washington's wide receivers after Carson Wentz took nine sacks against a ferocious Eagles front seven that is actually not as good as Dallas's front seven, which is on paper this week. You have Paulson, Curtis Samuel, ranked wide receiver 23 overall. Curtis Samuel, of course, who has led this team in targets in every week, all three games so far. Terry McLaurin finally gets the budge behind Samuel as the wide receiver 26, a fringe wide receiver two, and Jahan Dotson, who lived off two touchdowns those first two games on just five targets in each of them, the wide receiver 51. Again, a tough matchup against Dallas's secondary, Dallas's front seven. How do you think these three wide receivers fare this week, but also moving forward for everyone? I was really happy to see McLaren do so well against the Eagles, uh, Darius Slay and all that. Like that was a big concern coming into that game. And for him to go over 100 yards is encouraging. He's one of my favorite uh, players, receivers to draft there in the third, fourth round. Uh, but I think Samuel this week, he's just going to keep getting peppered with targets, especially if uh, Wentz is under duress. He's going to be looking for his quick outlets to get the ball, get rid of the ball and get some positive yardage. So I think Samuel, and he also has uh, the running ability that they'll u- utilize once in a while. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think he's basically an every week start right now until we start to see these targets dip. Um, I, I think it's him and McLaurin, and then Dotson is kind of the third option right now. Sam, anything you notice between these three that makes you higher on one or the others moving forward? So I think Paulson has it right with Samuel and McLaurin sort of in the same tier and then Dotson a bit further down. They're all running around on more than 80% of the team's dropbacks, which you don't see super often and is great because it, it means that they're sort of the three guys. I will note that the Commanders, I almost said Redskins there. The Commanders have a 5.2% pass rate over expectation, with it, which is fifth in the league. Unfortunately, they're not 
as effective as some of the other teams. They have a 7.7% explosive pass rate, which is uh, passes of 15 plus yards, which again is in the bottom third of the league. So the, the PPR aspect of things certainly helps Curtis Samuel. I think Terry McLaurin is just an all around great receiver that can, can make people miss and make great catches. So they're certainly, I think, reliable wide receiver two options moving forward. And Jahan Dotson, a potential flex with upside. Obviously, we saw in week one him catch the two touchdowns, and that's in his range of outcomes any week. We've also seen on the other side of the ball, the Cowboys' backfield now become a tandem situation. Ezekiel Elliott is your RB18, Paulson. Tony Pollard, your RB30. And I just want to note for everyone, I'm curious how you think, what you think about Ezekiel Elliott in particular for the rest of the season. But I just want to note for everyone, at least in these two games, doesn't mean it won't change. Historically, it hasn't changed. But at least in these two games, really nothing has changed. Tony Pollard does have 13 touches in back-to-back games. He had only eight touches in week one. But also the rates behind the scenes. He's still playing just 45% of snaps. He's still handling just 44% of backfield touches. So it's really like, He's playing the exact amount. They are just concertedly giving him touches more, which is still good for his zero RB, RB3 outlook. But honestly, nothing else has really changed. So how do you view this Cowboys backfield rest of season? Well, I'm a little disconcerted by the lack of targets, I think, for both players against the the Giants. Uh, I'm looking at Tony Tony Pollard's game log uh, against Cincinnati. He had seven targets in that game. Um, but like Zeke ran 21 routes to Pollard's nine. And it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense given the the state of the Dallas receiving core not to be using both these players more, but especially Pollard, who they claimed was going to you know play the slot for him. Uh, we can mark that up again as another running back, running back that's playing the slot in the preseason and then not playing the slot a whole lot uh, in the regular season. But uh, so I, I think that, Pollard in general will be a little bit spotty, which is why I have him ranked where I do. I think Zeke is going to probably get the, you know, all the goal line carries uh, and is going to see those, you know, 13 to 15 carries a game. And, you know, they'd be well served to get them both involved uh, in the, in the um, passing game a little bit more than they have. And it was, I guess, a little bit of a change, a begrudging change for the Cowboys, Sam, and that Tony Pollard on Monday night did actually start the game. He got the first carry, and he worked in the four-minute drill to ice the clock to end the game as well. He's the one who picked up that long second and eight when they were literally just trying to get to the end of the game, and he's just so good he ended up rushing for a first down early. So how do you think Pollard and Zeke fair moving forward because as much as people want to dunk on Zeke like he does look great out there and he is still leading the team in touches as Paulson said with goal line carries he is and those are both really good points that you make as much as the fantasy community wants to crown Tony Pollard the RB1 on this team it's it's I just don't think it's going to happen while Zeke is still there Jerry Jones is too insistent on having him play Zeke is just, you know, going to get touches and going to get more touches. He got the couple of goal line carries in the game on, was that Monday night? Um, And so I think it, both of them, I think are startable. Zeke is probably an RB2 Pollard more as a flex. I do 
agree with Paulson that the the routes run and their involvement with the passing game is is concerning because that's something that they've actually both been been pretty good at the past couple of seasons. But the gap between them as far as workload is shrinking a little bit more than it has in years past. And it's really just going to take an injury to Zeke for Pollard to get that full workload. And I would like to also add the schedule, upcoming schedule for Zeke is not pretty. I mean, Washington is fourth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. I'm not too worried about this week, but then the Rams on week five, they're first in that in that metric. And then Philly is 13th. We saw what their, their defense is pretty good. Um, and then after that, though, week seven, week eight, he's got Detroit and Chicago. So you're, you know, you're counting on some big games that week. I did, you know, Zeke Zeke's uh, managers need to be a little bit patient. I, I think if if he's not getting, I mean, he's got three catches on the year for negative five yards. Uh, he's running routes, but they're not throwing it to him. So maybe when Dak comes back, it'll get a little bit better. But if he doesn't find the end zone, it could be we could be in for some really rough. Uh, a couple of weeks here, uh, you know, 50, 60 yards rushing with no touchdown would be pretty dire for, for Zeke. Speaking of a couple of rough weeks, that's how TG Hawkinson began the year. But what we saw in week three was a touchdown scored on quietly behind the scenes, a season low 9.7% target share and a season low rate of routes, 69% routes run on Jared Goff's dropbacks. T.J. Hawkinson, your tight end six, a position that we already know, nine players matter. The rest just fill them in however the hell you want, particularly for matchups that week. What are you doing with T.J. Hawkinson moving forward, Paulson? Because to your ranking, it is a good matchup against Seattle's secondary this week. Yeah, and they've historically had trouble against tight ends. Um, they've given up uh, an average of 4.7 catches for 77 yards and a third of a touchdown to the position this year. I mean, I think I think TJ Hawkinson is good. He's ranked where he is a little bit due to the injury to Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, I think if Amon is a full go, I'll probably bump him up in the rankings a little bit, and that's going to come off of TJ's uh, outlook. But, I mean, he had seven targets in each of the first – two weeks uh i believe and you know got the touchdown last week I, and i think he's a good player so you try to bet on talent sometimes especially at this position where it's pretty dire after the the stud tight ends that uh you know we tried to target in the early early in the draft sam are you still starting tg hawkinson with confidence <laughs> with confidence no and that's the that's the important part you add at the end there i mean this is as good of an indicator as any that you know, you said there are nine good tight ends. I mean, I, are there even four or five? It, it's it's one of those things where, you know, we're, we're obviously very far away from draft season next year, but there there is the tight end dead zone. If you're not going to grab one of those elite tight ends, what's the point of grabbing one of these seventh, eighth round guys? I mean, to, to Paulson's point, if Amon Ross St. Brown is healthy, that certainly bumps him down, but he's probably, you know, and, I think DeAndre Swift missing time might help Hawkinson as well. But if you drafted Hawkinson, you're probably starting him. I don't know that there were much better options on the waiver wire. There's one guy we're going to talk about in a little bit that might be, but it's, you know, he's down at, I think, 13th in target share among all tight ends. He's the tight end 12 in PPR, but you, you don't feel good about that at all and he is certainly not making the leap that i think a lot of people might have expected him to 
entering this season. Another player that I think is in a sell high position, if that term even exists anymore in fantasy, since most leagues are pretty caught up on what's going on behind the scenes, is Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who has 12 catches on the year, and seven have actually gone for nine-plus yards. He's not really relying on quality or quantity or volume so much as he is in efficiency. And we question if that can keep up, especially since the past two games, Jarrett McKinnon has quietly outsnapped CEH in both contests. What are you doing with CEH moving forward, Paulson? And I understand that if you have him, we are starting him because he is getting there right now as a top 10 running back in fantasy points per game. But moving forward, I would guess we're still worried about the volume not coming along with the efficiency. Yeah, yeah, I don't have him. But if I did, I'll try to put myself in the uh, manager's uh, shoes. Uh, this week's rough because it's Tampa. Uh, they're second in just a fantasy points allowed to running backs. Andy splitting time with McKinnon, but I think the, I mean, I think the real lesson here, or the real note here is that if McKinnon is out there on the waiver wire, he's one to pick up. Cause if anything were to happen to CEH, uh, it looks like it'd be McKinnon with Pacheco kind of rotating in and, but McKinnon getting most of those red zone, uh, and those catches that are so valuable and he can run it a little bit too. Uh, I, I, th- I think in general, you're looking at Edward Hilaire as a low volume uh, guy who might find the end zone for you. He could get he could score two touchdowns in one game, just given the the nature of the Kansas City offense. But he's not going to be one that gets you 15 to 20 touches every week, which which, which we're looking for in our, our uh, fantasy starters. What about your take, Sam? Since we did see Jared McKinnon match Clyde Edwards Hilaire with seven carries each this past week against the Colts. But also, McKinnon quietly ran six more routes than CEH. So you could argue that he should have actually outtouched CEH. I mean, if, if you can't sell high on CEH, I'm for sure doing it. Nate Tice had a stat the other day that the Chiefs running backs rushed for one first down on 17 combined carries in their game on Sunday. So it really doesn't look good for many Chiefs running backs. But even watching the game, which is not something I often do. I usually just, you know, look at the spreadsheets, but CEH was getting stuffed at the goal line and is just not a goal line back and someone that I don't think they really are going to trust that close to the end zone going forward. So if you can sell high, I'm probably doing whatever I can to get as much as I can out of CEH and hoping that the other person that you're trading him away for believes that the Chiefs offense is, you know, good enough to sustain CEH's fantasy value, but there is a split and CEH just is not a good running back right now. Let's take a second, Paulson, and discuss the Titans wide receivers. Lots of questions in the chat about Traylon Burks and what we saw in week three was Robert Woods leading this team with a 33% target share, but more importantly, Traylon Burks actually led them with a route run, in routes run and a route on 97% of Tannehill's dropbacks. How do you view Traylon Burks, both for this week against the Colts and rest of season, since there is that unknown in Kyle Phillips whenever he returns from injury, entering back into the fray since he's the one who actually led the team in targets in week one? Yeah, that was kind of a weird game against the the Raiders. It was kind of a you know get right spot for Tennessee, uh, the passing game, and I think the same thing applies to Russell Wilson and the Broncos this week. But uh, to your point, Burks 
was ascending in this offense and he did run the most routes, but he only saw two targets with Robert Woods getting nine, uh, catching four for 85 yards. And also Derrick Henry suddenly, you know, becoming a part of the passing game for the Titans, which is great to see. I mean, we, he was on pace for a, a career high, uh, 36, 37 catches last year before getting injured. And then they barely looked at him in the first few games, finally uh, getting to him in week three, uh, which is going to help raise his floor if they're able to do that. But so nine, nine to Woods, six to Henry. And then, you know, nobody else had more than three, including Burks. Uh, but Burks was getting open uh, prior to this game. And then they, they did uh, play him the, you know, the most in terms of routes. Uh, so you, it just might be one of these situations where the rookie's going to have a little bit of an up and down season and not going to be the become the consistent uh, fantasy weapon that we're hoping for. The other thing is maybe Robert Woods is starting to feel a little bit better after that off, you know, off season or the, the ACL and the recovery from that. And maybe he's kind of rounding into form as well. I mean, we, we know he's a good player and uh, if he's starting to feel better, he he's going to be more productive than he was. And, and this is an offense that is not going to be able to support, you know, two or three, you know, fantasy starters as, as pass catchers, uh, you know, unless Derrick Henry's one of them. And Sam Burks with a 20% target share on just 46% of routes run for this team through the first two games. And then oddly enough, we saw just those two targets whenever he hit peaked in routes run. So I would imagine those first two games looks more like how he will earn targets, not week three moving forward. What say you? Yeah, but I would agree. I think rest of season, I'm betting on the talent trail on Burks winning out over Robert Woods, you know, based on the capital that they invested him on in him in the draft, spending a first round pick on him. Again, 96% of the team's dropbacks is the highest that any player has run for the Titans this year. But the Titans, again, are going to continue running the ball, like Paulson said, a negative 4.6 pass rate over expectation, which is the sixth lowest in the league. So I, I, I don't know if we've, I don't, I can't remember if we've talked about the Titans receivers yet this season, but sorry if I'm a broken, broken record here. I, I just don't really believe in Woods talent and think he's good enough right now to be a difference maker on a team. So to me, Burks could potentially be a buy low if you're in a good spot with your team, you know, sitting at two and one, three and oh, and can wait on a receiver to potentially break out. Burks is, is one of those guys for me. And there are leagues where both Burks and Kyle Phillips were dropped this past week. I am stashing both of them. Uh, I do question Burks' short-term outlook. Wide receiver 53 in your rankings, Paulson, so I'm with you. But long-term, if you look at your roster and say, I am starting these two receivers, like, your wide receiver two, maybe Christian Kirk or whatever. Thus, you would probably not be in this position to start whoever one of your bench receivers is. That's how I am then viewing Burks as a stash over that player on the bench. Like, I want to make sure I'm treating Burks as a stash and Phillips in deeper leagues for sure, uh, especially if you're top-heavy, knowing one of them could break out. Sam, you have charts, as you do every week, to show us. Beginning with the 49ers running back situation in their first game without both Elijah Mitchell and Tyrion Davis-Price. Yep, so the chart that we have shown up here is high-value touches per game on the x-axis, snap percentage on the y-axis, and then total opportunities per game as the size of the bubble. And 
again, the, the 49ers are one of those teams that are going to continue to be a run first team. I think the loss of Trent Williams may make San Francisco continue to lean into running the ball so that Jimmy G isn't put in a situation where he's, he's facing more pressure, but Wilson this past week was given 63.2% of the team's carries was the only 49ers running back to get more than one carry. Jordan Mason did have one carry and looked pretty solid. But the other factor, obviously, is Debo Samuel, who's going to continue to be involved rushing the ball. But it looks like Jeff Wilson is the clear one or one A at least in the rushing offense. And he's been very efficient when he's gotten the ball in the past. So if you were able to scoop him up off of waiver wire a couple of weeks ago, I think you're, you're sitting in a good spot. And what we saw Paulson in week two was Wilson handling 18 carries TDP handling 14 carries. So we figured there was room for two running backs, but I think it's actually even better for Wilson's outlook that they just used Debo Samuel as the second running back. So basically all running back touches at that position went to Jeff Wilson. Yeah, they don't. It doesn't seem like they trust anyone past uh, TDP as the backup there right now. Maybe they ch- that changes, but certainly good news for Wilson that Elijah Mitchell got it hurt and then TDP got hurt uh, the following week or two weeks later. Uh, the other player I want to mention on this graph is uh, Devin Singletary, and just not from a Devin Singletary standpoint, but from a Zach Moss standpoint, he is out there on some waiver wires. If there is any injury to to Singletary, Moss becomes pretty interesting given the high value touches that David Singletary saw. Yes, James Cook is there, but they seem like they want to use him more as a you know change of pace rotational back, and and Moss would would likely take over most, if not all, of uh, Singletary's touches. I also noted in the waiver wire column that if you take out the fourth quarter of Week Two, whenever the Bills were up thirty four to seven against the Titans, a blowout game script, that's when James Cook handled 10 of his 11 touches. They were just trying to get out of the game and go home and ice their feet. Remove that quarter from the last two weeks, and in those other seven quarters, a competitive game script, Devin Singletary has outsnapped Zach Moss 102-29, to and James Cook has only played 22 snaps. It is very clear that Singletary is the back to look at here in a competitive game script. I question how much Cook would have been used last week, even against Miami, if he didn't receive the nut game script for... Jake Kumaro getting injured in the first quarter, Dawson Knox and Isaiah McKenzie going down for cramping from dehydration, and also them g- trying to limit Gabriel Davis. Ultimately, they couldn't because Stephon Diggs was also injured. So I don't think James Cook receives any touches, honestly. If everyone in this up, if everyone in this backfield and offense is healthy, I think it's just Singletary moving forward. Makes him a sneaky start and a great, what we expect to be shootout for the Bills against the Ravens in week four. Sam, you also have thoughts on the Bucks' backfield after Leonard Fournette is fresh off 100% of the team's backfield touches. And it's sort of a similar similar situation to the Bills running backs in that the, the rookie is not really getting any work except when the game is sort of out of proportion. And Rashad White has possibly found his way to the waiver wire in some leagues. Again, you mentioned Fournette was the only guy involved in the backfield for the Bucks this past week. But I do think if I had to choose between Cook and White as to who I'm stashing, it's probably White. It, it seems like the Bucks might be a little bit more 
likely to give someone a, a workhorse role, whereas the Bills, if Singletary were to go down, they probably split that up a little bit more between Cook and uh, excuse me, Zach Moss. So I, there are, were a lot of people bullish on Rashad White entering the year, thought he'd get a little bit more run sooner than he has, which is it, it hasn't really happened yet. But I, I do think he holds a lot of contingent value. And again, similar to Burks, who I mentioned earlier, if you have the bench depth and are willing to wait on someone Rashad White is someone who you could stash. And in a lot of leagues, Paulson, Rashad White and Alexander Madison, even though we knew they had no value outside of contingency options, they were two players who were basically drafted in every single league anyways. Yeah, I think White at this point, I mean, you saw the six carries in, in week one. I think he had a couple of catches. And then since then, it's just been the Leonard Fournette show. They've had a couple of really tough matchups against the saints and the packers and that's part of it i mean if you watch that bucks packers game that neither running running back crew could really operate or get anything going so that certainly is going to i think push more of the touches towards the incumbent uh fournette as they just try to get him whatever they can get him they're not going to limit his usage at all when he's only getting so many touches um, so I think, uh, you know, in better matchups, you might see White rotated more as the Bucks game, a uh, running game gets going a little bit. But uh, I think, you know, in the short term, it looks like he's just a like an attrition stash. I think he is definitely the RB2 there uh, and has a lot of upside if anything were to happen to Fournette. All right, Sam, it is your responsibility to explain to everyone what the hell is going on with DJ Moore, who is Paulson's wide receiver 33. He took a stand in the rankings this week. DJ Moore, of course, 46% of his targets have come within nine yards of the line of scrimmage this year, and yet he's still averaging a career-low 39% catch rate. It is easy to just blame Baker Mayfield, but I'm curious what you're seeing. I mean, it's been the story of DJ Moore's whole career where the underlying stats are showing someone who should have a lot of production, but he just isn't. He leads the Panthers wide receivers in target share, weighted opportunity rating, routes, run rate, and expected PPR points per game. So he's the wide receiver one on the team. He's on the field a ton. He, you know, he's got a route run rate of 100%, so he's always on the field when they're passing the ball. But he just hasn't had the quarterback to sustain him. Now, he's produced fine in the past with Kyle Allen and uh, Sam Darnold last year. So I think... You know, I, I would agree with Paulson's ranking. Like if he's not no longer a wide receiver two anymore, you likely could have better options like, you know, some of the rookie wide receivers and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, some guys like that. But I wouldn't drop him quite yet. I think that's a bit of an overreaction because he still did get six targets this past week, just only caught one of them. But to trust him in your lineup is going a long ways and I think is something that's a little scary for me. I, I've got him on in one of my teams and I'm sitting him in favor of Olave, who I just mentioned. Uh, I think he's just got a little bit of a higher ceiling at this point. And DG Moore has run a route on literally every single one of Carolina's dropbacks this year, 23% target share still. But Paulson, the issue is that all off season, we spent wish casting, hoping he'd score more touchdowns. Well, now it's become two uphill battles in receiving yards since he hasn't eclipsed 43 yards in any game yet and touchdowns. 
Well, I think heading into the season, it was the correct, you know, assumption or at least thought process that Baker Mayfield was going to be better than Sam Darnold. Uh, it was brutal last year in terms of the passing game. Uh, but in Sam Darnold's, you know, career averages have been a lot better uh, in terms of the total piece of the passing pie that that more could could have potentially uh, gotten. Uh, but you're looking at Baker Mayfield, who has, through three games, completed 52% of his passes for 550 yards. That's 550 yards in three games with three touchdowns and uh, one interception, uh, you know, yards per attempt of 6.8, which is below average, uh, 81 pass attempts in three games. So it's a very low-volume offense. He's not being very efficient. Uh, he's typically a good touchdown thrower. He's had, you know, Seasons of 27, 22, 26, that's pretty solid. Uh, you know, it's 17 last year in 14 games, and that was an injury-riddled season. But what we're seeing right now is not the Baker Mayfield from 2018 to 2020. We're seeing post-injury Baker Mayfield's production in 2021, and that's not what we were counting on. Even that was probably going to be better than what Sam Darnold provided last year, but it, he's not, I think on top of it, he's not jiving very well with, with DJ Moore. I, I would definitely hold DJ Moore because he's still the number one option in this offense and maybe they get things going. He's too talented, uh, I think, to hit the waiver wire unless you're in a really shallow league and there's you know player like Chris Olave on the waiver wire. Um, but this is a very big surprise to me that this is this passing game is what it is right now. Sam for the Rams, on one hand for Allen Robinson. You can say his target share has progressively increased in every game this year, leading to a season-high 20% target share this past week. Only five targets, but the Rams also were only required to throw 25 times. No big deal. On the other hand, you can also say, where the hell are my fantasy points? Because he's the wide receiver 72 in fantasy points per game. So what are your thoughts right now on Allen Robinson for everyone who is debating on benching him or in shallower leagues, just dropping him outright? It, it's a very similar story to DJ Moore. He's running around on 96% of the team's dropbacks. So he's he's on the field for almost every single pass play that the Rams have. But he is somehow behind Ben Skoranek in targets on the season. And, and in fullback snaps. Yeah. 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 Right. And among 81 receivers this year with at least 10 targets on the season, Robinson's 0.11 targets per route run rate ranks 80th, which is second worst uh, among those receivers. So I do think, you know, I got a, I got a question earlier today on Robinson versus Moore rest of season, and I haven't answered it yet. I think I'm talking myself into Robinson because I believe a little bit more in the Rams offense. They're 11th in pass rate over expectation right now. And I think the, you know, Again, I, we never want to assume rational coaching, but I think Allen Robinson is good enough to start getting more of those targets and be involved a little bit more in the passing game. And Paulson, Allen Robinson, a wide receiver four or five in your rankings. How do you view him short term? Is he someone you don't mind benching really? Yeah, it's a, a wait and see right now. I'm holding uh, the situation is too good. He's got a good quarterback, Matthew Stafford. He's the number two option there. He's running a ton of routes, and I'd be interesting interested, Sam, in those you know targets per route 
uh, route, I think, was the metric you mentioned. If you exclude week one, which I think was kind of a weird week against Buffalo, you know, last two weeks he's had 10 total targets. Maybe he's a little bit higher in that metric, not quite so miserably bad, 80, 81st, whatever you said. Um, this is still a passing attack that supported fantasy wide receiver two numbers from Odell Beckham and uh, Robert Woods combined last year. And I, I think Robinson can get back to at least wide receiver three uh, type type numbers here as he gets a little bit more acclimated to everything. Uh, this week's a little weird with the 49ers. They're 21st and just a fancy points allowed to receivers. Uh, so uh, the defense is pretty good, but they've been a little bit vulnerable to the receiver position. And then next week against Dallas, they're 10th and then Carolina 19th. And then I think probably coming out of the bye, if things are still sort of going the way they are going, then Sean McVay is going to sit down and try to figure out how to get him uh, much more involved. And the argument I've been making is that, Yes, Robert Woods, Odell Beckham, wide receiver twos behind Cooper Cup, but maybe Tyler Higby, who has 24 targets through three games, is the wide receiver two behind Cooper Cup. Thus, Allen Robinson, we should actually be treating him as a team's wide receiver three. Uh, Tyler Higby, of course, with a 22.5% target share through three games. So maybe that's what we're all missing here with the Rams. With that, gentlemen, week four is here. Every coach is listing their players as day-to-day, but Zach Wilson is at least noted as starting in week four. And even with C.G. Ozoma back last week, Sam, it was still Tyler Conklin who refused to go away with a 15% target share and now has at least seven targets in all three games played this year. Your thoughts on Tyler Conklin, who is very clearly a low-end tight end one, at least right now, and I think has an argument over a lot of other questionable players people are starting at the position. So before I get into that, I did check quickly. If you remove week one for Allen Robinson, his target per outrun goes from 0.11 up to 0.16, which is eighth worst. So I guess a little bit of improvement there. Uh, I did use that, did uh, find that using the wonderful 4 for 4 player stat explorer. Uh, so a quick plug to use that. But yeah, Tyler Conklin, I mean, they're, there was some concern coming into this week that CJ Uzama, the free agent ad for the Jets, would take a little bit more work than he did. Again, Conklin through the first two weeks had 15 targets, was running a route on 84% of dropbacks. He followed that up with nine total targets that he caught all of for 74 yards, and Uzama only had one target on 23% of the routes run. So it could be that they were easing Uzama back into the lineup after his injury, but I believe that the Conklin usage will continue. The other wrinkle, like you mentioned, is Zach Wilson coming back. You know, who knows if they're throwing it a thousand times a game like they did with Joe Flacco moving forward. But I've been encouraged with what I've seen from Conklin. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't bash people if they're starting Conklin over Hawkinson at this point. So it's, he's one of those guys where, again, you know, you talk about people you can find late off the waiver wire that give you usable weeks at tight end. And the fact that he's averaging over six targets a game is, is huge for a tight end. And I think, you know, Conklin is certainly on his way to being a potential weekly starter. Yeah, I would add that he's third in targets, fourth in route, routes run. The Jets are currently first in seconds per play per Sam's wonderful team stats explorer app at four for four. 
they're playing they're playing really fast and he's seeing a ton of uh routes and i'm wondering if how things change when uh, zach wilson uh play. i think that's true for everybody garrett garrett wilson uh, elijah moore uh you know Corey davis uh, tyler conklin etc how much does this offense change with zach wilson under center um I'm kind of kicking myself because I did draft Conklin in some of my best balls as like a last round pick, but I didn't get him in uh, FFPC or uh, the uh, Scott Fishbowl where I could really use him right now because I'm running uh, Albert O out there and uh, Hayden Hurst. Uh, so it, it's been really uh, with with uh, Uzuma coming there as well. I think the initial thought was that Uzuma was a little bit more uh, established as a receiver and that he was going to win that job. But in the preseason, uh, Conklin was the clear tight end one. And it's basically continued uh, to where, you know, he's getting eight targets per game and that sort of volume, even if he's just falling down every time he catches it, which based on his 7.7 yards per reception, that's kind of what he's doing. Uh, it's still super productive, especially this season at tight end where it's kind of uh, pretty bad after the top guys. Hayden Hurst, who OC Brian Callahan said they would take 50 yards from every day. And Hurst, of course, hasn't reached 50 yards in any game yet. So I don't know what the hell coaches are doing anymore. Sam, what else do you have for everyone coming out of 4 for 4 this week? Same as always. Hopping to conclusions came out this morning. Have our my breakout model coming out tomorrow morning. Again, check out the player and team stat explorers that we have up on the website, those are fully updated through week three and plenty of more charts to come. I'm, I'm excited because now we, again, like we mentioned with the adjusted fantasy points uh, model coming out, we have more data so can start to look at some more 2022 things looking forward into the future. Paulson, what else for you coming out ahead of week four? Well, uh, sneaky starts, uh, you know, coming out today or tomorrow morning, and uh, I, I have been getting some questions about the uh, breakout receiver model from last year. So I'm, I'm working with Kevin Zutluko. He and I uh, put that together last or a couple of years ago, and uh, trying to get that up on the site so we can at least refer to it uh, during podcasts, and the users can have the data that they uh, they like to use last year. Um, so still trying to find a writer for that. So if anybody's interested, hit me up. Uh, but other than that, just keeping up on the rankings, got the podcast on Friday and uh, ready for week four. It's week four and we're already doing job inquiries because we don't know what's <laughs> going on. Remember for those rankings, start sick questions. They're all available to you. Just head to the rankings at four, four.com using the promo code September Paulson. As he said, we'll be back at the end of the week. Sneaky starts episode until then be a little bit kinder than what you